Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be teaching out of the book of Genesis. Okay, Genesis chapter 12, we began it last week. I think it's fitting as we consider the full chapter here for us to just do a little bit of a review through the first um, nine verses and uh, to get us up to speed here on what's happening. Remember, uh, in Genesis here, in uh, between 11 and 12, this is a breaking point for Genesis. We've really focused on... Uh, the, the history of the world, creation, the flood, and now we come to a place as we make this break in, in chapter 12, and we now come into how God is moving and working to raise up his servant uh, Abraham, who is really going to be the father of the nations. It, it's Abraham who he's called, who he's setting apart, that he's going to work his plan of salvation through. And so starting here in chapter 12 through the end of the chapter, through Genesis chapter 50, we're going to start to make our way through the lives of the patriarchs. We're going to consider Abraham and, and Moses and, and Jacob and Joseph and all and Isaac and all these all these different individuals who are the the, the fathers uh, of of certainly of of Israel, of the Jewish faith, but uh, we being grafted in, um, it's our history here as well. And if you recall here at the beginning of chapter 12, this is where God calls Abraham. He's now, he's Abram here. His name has not yet been changed by God. And he calls Abram. He's called him before, but something happened. And so here at the beginning, let's go ahead and just read the first three verses together again. It says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So here in the beginning of this chapter, we see that God calls Abram. And it says that here in verse 1 that he had, he had said to Abram, Okay, he had called Abram before. Acts chapter 7 gives us insight into that. Okay, that he had, he had called Abram before, and Abram had responded. Abram and his family, specifically with his father, had uh, responded. They had left where they were from. They had left the city that they, that they knew, a pagan city, and they had made their way, and they had started to make their way towards that which God had promised them, but they stopped. Okay? got to remember that there is there and there's something so 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 God calls Abram and he responds to this and they and they leave and they begin to journey but they stop short of what it is that God had for them that's the first thing that we need to consider here as we look at this first verse is that Abram had already responded to the, the call of God he has made it he had made his way almost to where God wanted him to be and then what happened? We, we don't know what happened. We, we, we can only speculate. And I did some of that last week just in terms of, you know, as they, as they began to settle in and they began to get comfortable and they got distracted and they began to uh, put down roots and, and, and Abram began to, de- to develop a, a business, if you will. I don't know exactly what that business was, but he seemed to be profitable. He, he had uh, wealth. He had resources. He had cattle. And, and, and so 
time just goes by. And, and maybe you get to a place where you start to kind of forget about what, what it was that God had called you to do. What it is that He wanted from you. What it is that He wanted to do in your life. Something distracted Him. And I can't help but think in this day and age in which we are living that knowing full well God is still speaking. God is still moving. God is still calling. Yet the distractions abound. Right? Maybe for some of you it's been some time since you remember God putting a, a calling on your life. Speaking something into your life. You thinking, man, this is, this is crazy, but I, I really believe that God is calling me to do whatever it is that, that He called you to do in your life. And maybe you're now at a point where you're thinking, man, I've not, I've not really realized that call. I've not really fully embraced what it is that I believe God has, has uh, created me for. What, it is, what is it that's distracting you? And so here, God intent on, on moving and working in Abram, which by the way, that's the way God works. It, it's not that it's entirely, it's not that, that, that in our distraction that all of a sudden God's just done with us, right? God continues to work. God continues to call. He'll repeat the call if necessary. And he does that here with Abram. He comes to him again. And, 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 and we're reminded in Scripture that he had said this to Abram. And so he's reminded of it somehow. Whether, whether God uh, speaks it audibly to him again, he is reminded of what God had said to him. And so God reminds Abram of the promise. God reminds Abram of the call. And as we then come into verses 4-6, through six, we read, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. It's likely that he had been there for about 25 years. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. And so they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Morah. And the Canaanites were then in the land. And so here, God reminds Abram of the promise, reminds him of the call. 25 years has gone by, but Abram says, now I'll go. Now his father had died, and so that's likely a key event that allows Abram now to feel like he can go, he can move on, he can move forward. And so he does this in obedience. He responds to God, and he takes a step of faith. Okay? He takes a step of faith, and as he begins to journey, then he encounters some trouble in the land. The fact is, he goes into this land that God had said that he had promised him, and he gets there and he says, somebody's already here. Is this really my land? Is this really the land that you're giving me? There's already people here. And so it, it could certainly be the case that in this moment, Abram begins to question a little bit, did I hear God right? Did I hear him correctly? Is this, is this in fact what he's called me to do? Right? And, and, and naturally, it would be that way for any of us as we respond to God, as we begin to follow Him, as we respond to His calling on our lives, as we, as we take those steps of faith and we do the things that we believe He's calling us to do, and then we start to uh, make our way along the journey and we think, well, I didn't expect this, or I certainly didn't see this coming, and, and then maybe we begin to question it. It's wonderful, a wonderful thing that we serve such a gracious and merciful God because in those moments, God has a tendency to show up and encourage us and speak to us. He did so with Abram in verse 7 through 9. It says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. I mean, pause here for a moment. 
It says here that the Lord appeared to him. That's one thing we have to consider here. This isn't just an audible voice. This means that God appeared to him. What this likely is, is a theophany. This is a pre-incarnate form of Christ. Jesus has come to meet with him. He's appeared to him. And it's in this moment, this moment of questioning, this moment of doubt, as he, as he begins to make his way through the land, he says, there's already people here. And, and Jesus comes to him and says, what did I tell you I was going to do? And this is an opportunity for Abram's faith to be strengthened as God ministers to him and reminds him of the promise that he has made. Maybe for some of you, that calling on your life that maybe still hasn't been fully realized and you're encountering struggles and, or, or trials or different things and you find yourself going, Lord, is this, is this really what you told me to do? But yet, here God ministers to you in these moments reminding you of His promise over you. He, so He says, I will give this land to you. And there, the second part of verse 7, He says, and there He built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to Him. And so Abram, his faith is being strengthened. And his faith is being strengthened in this process of taking a step of faith and encountering trial and and meeting with God and worshiping God. And and throughout this, he's beginning to learn things. And it's a very similar pattern in our own lives as we follow after God, that we take steps of faith, we follow after Him. But along the way, we, we run into different things. We have our doubts, but God ministers to us and He encourages us and we worship Him. We give thanks to Him. And when we, when we worship God, when we give Him thanks, it's, it's not only praise, but it's also it, it's, it's worship. It's surrender. It's, okay, Lord, I trust You. Okay, Lord, I'm giving You my life. Okay, Lord, I'm surrendering to the calling again. And, and, and it's, just, it's this process that continues to, to build our faith. It says in verse 8, And He moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And so Abram journeyed, going still toward the south. And of course then the implication there is that Abram in obedience continues to journey through the land, not knowing exactly where he's going, but trusting the Lord along the way. Content, as Hebrews tells us, to be a pilgrim in the land, a stranger, a foreigner, in, 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 in an area where God had made promises to him, yet not fully realizing the promises, just continuing to follow God, waiting, waiting on that hope, waiting on that promise. And we too are called to, to do the same thing, to journey and to follow and to be obedient, and, and to trust God, even when it seems at times like we're just pilgrims, we're just foreigners, we're just strangers, and it can feel uncomfortable. And, and we can have this, this desire, if you will, to, to make this feel like home. But it isn't. It isn't our home. We're called to just continue to follow Him and trust in Him, all the while continuing to worship Him. If you recall from last week, worshiping Him there between Bethel, the house of God, and Ai, the, the garbage heap on either side, right? Pilgrims in the midst, pilgrims in this foreign land in the midst of the house of God, in between the house of God and the dump. <laughs> I, I, I really just can't think of a better picture of where we're at today as Christians in this world. On, on one side, looking back towards the things of the world, we see a dump, we see a garbage heap. I said to somebody earlier today um, that, that when we, we, it used to be the case where you'd say, well, at least the world isn't falling apart, right? May have ever said that before? And now it's kind of like, oh... Oh, it kind of is, right? Dang, the world's falling apart, right? And some people might think, if they heard me say that, they may think, oh, that's awful. But it is, and it's okay. Because this world is going to fade away. This world is, it, 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 this is not my home. And so we are in this weird in-between place saying, oh, I can't wait to get to the house of God. 
that place that he's prepared for me. That Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many rooms, right? There's a place that's prepared, and it's like, oh, I can't wait. And I look back over here, and it's, it's a dump, and it's getting worse. And I look over here, and I see the house, but it's like, oh, but we're still here, right? Still got to be a pilgrim. Still got to be sort of uncomfortable in this foreign land, and that's okay because we follow him, we trust him, and we know that he's going to meet us at various places when trials come. We're going to trust him, just like we sang about tonight. We're going to trust you, God. So Abram continues to journey. And now, you know, here it's a wonderful thing that we see Abram in his obedience. And unfortunately, now we come to a place where we see him in some disobedience. But that should also be an encouragement to us as well, because as we see these heroes of the faith, if you will, we see people who are real, who make mistakes. Yet, yet in the end, it's accounted to them as righteousness. Their faith is exalted, right? So we can look at these, these moments in these people's lives when they, when they screw up and we can say, okay, there's, there's hope for me too, right? And so here Abram is making his way and as we get into then verse 10, uh, let's go ahead and read in verse, uh, well, just, just verse 10 here because, because what's happening here is, 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 is Abram's continuing to say, okay, I'm going to follow the Lord, I'm going to trust in the Lord, I'm going to worship the Lord, and he's, he's there in that place with, with Bethel to the west, and he says, oh, he says, okay, things are good, right? But then all of a sudden a trial comes. Let me read verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. So here's what's happened. He, he's now making his way through the land that God has said, I promise this is yours. I will give this to you. God promised that he was going to care for him, that he was going to protect him. I mean, go back to that blessing. Uh, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He's saying, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to care for you. And then all of a sudden, this trial comes, this great famine that's very severe that he didn't expect. And now it's put him in a situation where he's trying to figure out, what am I going to do? And, and such is often the case in each of our own lives as we follow after God, that trial comes. Okay, it is to be expected. It is to be expected. You can count on it that when we take a great step of faith, that trials are going to come. Okay? You, we should just know that. I mean, I tell when I baptize people, when, when we go through the instruction for baptism leading up to their baptism, I tell people, hey, heads up. Like this week, because typically I'll get the chance to meet with somebody a week before their baptism, and we'll talk about what it means and why they're doing it, and make sure that they have a proper understanding of things. And I'll say, just even you deciding to be baptized, man, the enemy's going to come this week. And sometimes people are like, well, what do you, what do you mean? And I'm like, you're going to be under attack, because you're doing something that the enemy hates. And so when we take steps of faith, when we seek to make our faith public, when we're trying to do things for God and for His glory, the enemy does not like that. And he's going to come. And trials are going to come. But here's the thing. Trials often and, and, and pretty much always can serve to strengthen our faith. Right? So that's the thing. Even though trials are going to come, we can trust that God is going to use them. We can trust that they're going to uh, accomplish something in us. Right? In Romans a passage that many of you, no doubt, are familiar with and, and enjoy. Uh, 
Romans chapter 5 and verse 3 and 4. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. You could also translate that trials. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, right? And perseverance, character, and character, hope. And in verse 5, and hope, now hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out on our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given to us. Okay, so, so when those trials come, we can be confident and trust that, that they're going to accomplish something in our lives. They're going to strengthen us. They're going to give us perseverance. But sometimes, sometimes those trials can really test us. Sometimes they can even derail us. Sometimes when those trials come, we, like Abram here, don't necessarily handle them the best way. Sometimes, especially when it is that we don't really see them coming that we find ourselves panicked. We forget the promises of God. There was a point in Abram's life where God had called him and God had made a promise to him and along the way, something happened. He got distracted. Right? And so these things happen in our lives. If you look here at in verses 10 now through 13, let's read uh, them in context here. Now there was a famine in the land and Abram He went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass, when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore it will happen, when the Egyptians see you, that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Verse 13, Please say that you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. So, Abram here is facing a situation. A situation that he was not prepared for. And the trial here now is what this is. This is a trial. The trial has come. He's taken a great step of faith and now the trial has come. And unfortunately in this situation, rather than remembering the promises of God, he begins to panic. And in fear he makes a decision And here we see a pattern that so often happens in our own lives that the trial comes and then follows compromise. That's what began to happen here in Abram's life. Abram makes a decision here that's outside of the will of God because he, 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 he panics, he's in, he's in fear. I mean, certainly the, the famine in the land, it says, was severe. But because of this, then he decides that he's going to go down to Egypt. He's going to flee the land that God had promised him. Right? Now, what we must understand in Scripture is that consistently in Scripture, when we see Egypt, what we see is a picture of the world. Egypt is always a picture of the world to the believer, to the child of God. And whenever someone's going to Egypt, are they ever going up to Egypt? No, no. They're always going down, okay? So what Abram makes a decision to do here is to go down to the world. He is in the promised land. He is in the place that God has promised him. He has been reminded of the promises of God, yet a trial comes and it causes him to flee and to run to the world. Robert Morris writes, It often seems at first that a compromise between the methods of the world and God's will and promises works out very well. Let me rephrase that there. It's oftentimes in our life when we're facing a trial, when we've 
convinced ourselves that something's severe, that there's a problem, that we need to do something, that we need to fix something, that we also then convince ourselves to somehow make a compromise between what God has called us to do and what the world can offer us. Right? Go back to the idea of distractions, right? What did God call them to do? God wanted this man to be set apart. He wanted him to be different. God was in the process of making him different, of making him unique. Abram was a, was a pagan. He, he, was, he worshipped pagan idols at the very beginning of his life. But God was taking this man. He had, a, he had a calling on his life, and he was setting him apart. He was going to do something new in him. And he had brought him to a place, and God had shown himself faithful. But these trials come, and the trial could have served as an opportunity for God to continue to demonstrate his faithfulness to Abram. But Abram, in fear decides, I, I've got to do something here, right? And so I'm going to go see what the world can offer me, how it can, how it can sustain me, what it can provide me with. And it doesn't always come to us that way. Listen, when we find ourselves compromising, trying to find a compromise between what God desires of us and what the world can offer, we don't always look at it from the standpoint of, I'm just going to, I'm going to leave God behind and I'm going to go see what the world has to give us. But in effect, that's what begins to happen. And the thing is, when that begins to happen, then we sort of begin to get sucked into it, okay? Now what's happening here within the context of the passage is that Abram, now they've decided they're going to go down to Egypt because they've heard that you know, it's a pretty well-established city and there's people there and there's food there and they should be able to find provision there, okay? And <clears throat> as they're making their way, Abraham, and, and some people speculate that maybe along the way as they're starting to come into the area of Egypt, there's more and more people that, that maybe Abraham's noticing that people are they're looking at his wife. They're making eyes at his wife. Maybe there's some cat calls or different things going on, and Abraham's thinking, whoa, wait a second, right? And now he, becomes to be, he gets to be a little nervous. He's thinking, man, my wife is very beautiful, and, and we're coming into this foreign land, and, and, and this is a pagan land, and there's, uh, there's idolatry and, and just all these different things, and, and my goodness, they might, they might want to try to take me out, take my wife and kill me. And so, here again, Abram starts to go, okay, what, what do I need to do here? Now, it might seem a little odd to us that, we go, that Abram comes up with this idea that says, hey, I'm going to say you're my sister. Remember, at this particular time, the, that relationship to some degree was there, okay? Um, we're not too far after the fall, and so in many respects, he's not necessarily making this up. He's going to emphasize an aspect of the relationship here, but he's also thinking about protecting himself. And he thinks that, okay, if, if they believe that you're my sister, then they're going to treat me well because they're going to say, hey, man, how do I uh, get to know your sister, right? And so it's going to be favorable for him. But of course... What type of leadership is he demonstrating here in this moment? As a husband, what type of leadership is he demonstrating? The people that are traveling with him, his nephew, what, what about his servants that are there with him? What are they thinking about Abraham in this moment? Man, Abraham, come on. Man up. Don't, don't, don't go this route. Right? But Abraham has already decided to go down, to go down into Egypt. And so as he goes, this is what begins to happen. As you begin to compromise, then more compromise, be, it becomes easier and easier to compromise. And, and if you're beginning to tell a lie, well, then you've got to do different things to perpetuate that lie. There's all sorts of different things that are happening here in this moment. Great step of faith. Trial comes, then compromise. Right? And, and, and here... As, as, as they're making their way in then, in verses 14 and 15 here, it says, So it was, when Abram came into Egypt, that the Egyptians saw the woman, 
that she was very beautiful. So indeed, Abram's like, yep, see, I knew this was going to happen. And the princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. Okay, so things are kind of unfolding the way that Abraham thought they were going to unfold. So he probably feels to some degree a little justified in how he was thinking here. Right? And it says here that, uh, that the, the, the princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And so basically what they're saying here is, is, is this is the word here. This is actually the first word, uh, this word commended. This is the first time we see the word translated praise in the Bible. It's interesting, right? The first time we see the word praise in the Bible is in regards to a godly woman. Just some food for thought. But the other thing that's really going on here is the, the princes are seeing this woman and they're saying, in effect, she, okay, she's out of our league. We've got to take her to Pharaoh. Okay? So they take her to Pharaoh. And then what happens to Abram? Verse 16, And he treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. So in many respects now, Abram's plan that he's concocted to compromise, to find a balance between God's plan and what the world has to offer, now seems to be kind of working out in his perspective, isn't it? And guys, what we must understand is in our own lives as well, there may be times when God has called us to take a great step of faith. And we take that step of faith and trial begins to come. And when trial comes, we begin to doubt what it is that we've done. We begin to doubt God. We begin to doubt His promise to care for us and to provide for us and to protect us. And so we begin to say, here's what I need to do. And we begin to tell God the plan. God, I am going to do this, right? I'm going, to, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to continue to keep your plan in mind, but because of all these other circumstances, I'm going to go down to Egypt here, and, and they're going to be able to help offset this need a little bit, and we begin to look at the practicality of what the world has to offer, and then lo and behold, because the world does offer some, offer some practical things, well, then we begin to prosper. And then we begin to convince ourselves, well, you see this plan that I came up with? Look, I'm prospering. God must be blessing it. Anybody familiar with that? I am, right? You see, the interesting thing uh, is that when, when I look at this passage, I can't help but see me. <laughs> that it was in college where God put a calling on my life. If you ask my mom, she'd say, no, you were five, right? But I didn't hear that until I was in college. <laughs> and then mom said, I told you, right? She didn't say it quite like that. It was very kind. Um, but it was in college that, I, that God put a, a, a calling on my life that I, heard, that I heard the calling to ministry, okay? And uh, so after sophomore year of college, decide, well, here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this. And this, this, by the way, was God's leading because here I am at college in Indiana and Ashley's up in college in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Well, excuse me, she's in Kalamazoo at the time. We're about three and a half hours apart. And the Lord's just doing uh, awesome work in both of our lives independently. Uh, both of us getting plugged into Calvary chapels and we get saved and all these different things. Wonderful things are happening. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm called to ministry. And, and people were speaking that into my life and they were praying that over me. And it's like, okay, this is awesome. And, and so then the opportunity to start to, to get involved in ministry comes. And going to move back to Michigan and we're going to get married and we're going to finish up school in a different area. And now my degree is going to be focused on ministry. And we're doing youth ministry. And we're just, man, we're all in 
living for the Lord, right? We're making hardly any money, but God's providing, and it's just a wonderful thing. And then uh, I'm a youth pastor, and we're doing youth ministry stuff, and then all of a sudden, we got a baby on the way, right? And you think, well, how are we going to do this, right? How am I going to do this on, it was like $100 a week at that particular time, right? But, but man, we were rich, okay? And uh, so, then, so then what do I say? Well, I got to get a job. Now, now, God provided a great job, and I believe that, he, that it was he that provided that job. But I believe that he provided that job to allow us to do ministry. And somewhere along the lines, that switched, right? And then all of a sudden, different trials come, and you begin to convince yourself that, well, in order to do this, I better do this. And, hey, this opportunity is there, and it must be of the Lord because it just seems like a great opportunity. And you begin to pursue this, and then you pursue this, and then all of a sudden, a decade goes by, and you go, where am I? What am I doing? Right? And you've convinced yourself all along, look how prosperous we've been. It must have been the Lord. Was it? Was it really? And the Lord comes and he says, what did I call you to? What did I call you to? And you start to go, oh Lord, I forgot. I got distracted. I convinced myself of what the world was offering me was, was your blessing and And so there was this great step of faith, but then a trial led to compromise. And then from compromise, sadly, what often happens is what happens here with Abram in verse 17. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go away. And so Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. You see, a great step of faith often brings a trial, and sometimes a trial brings compromise, and then a compromise brings a blown testimony. And as it pertains to me, there was a few times in that stint in the corporate world where I blew my testimony. But as God reminded me of that call, as God began to, 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 to call me again and to say, Brennan, where are you? What are you doing here? Then I began to respond and to listen. And, and so the wonderful thing is that even though sometimes we find ourselves in a spot where we've sort of blown the testimony and it seems like we've blown it in terms of what God wanted of us, He reminds us, He calls us again, and He begins to restore and He begins to rebuild that testimony. Because for, for Abram here, what happens, because he, was, because he compromised, He's, he can, he, he's thinking, no doubt, for a period of time, hey, things are going pretty well, we're pretty prosperous here, but then, then all of a sudden the plague comes upon Pharaoh and his house and everything begins to fall apart and he thinks, oh no. And we don't know exactly how it is that Pharaoh finds out. Maybe as these things start to happen, he's venting and he's saying, what in the world's going on? And maybe it's Sarai who mentions it, or maybe it's one of Abram's servants who mentions it, who knows? We don't know exactly how they find out here, but, but whatever the, however the case is, Pharaoh knows. He comes to him, he says, why did you do this? Why weren't you just honest with me? And Pharaoh's not a believer. Pharaoh doesn't believe in the, in, 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 in the God that's calling Abraham. But even, even Pharaoh's looking at him saying, why, why, why'd you do this? This could have been bad. Okay? And then he just says, go away. And, and, and what's the consequence of that? I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want to hear what you have to say. And I don't want to know your God. And guys, sometimes that may happen if we begin to compromise, that the people that then, that then we affect through that, we've lost the opportunity to tell them about Jesus. Because they think, I don't want to hear anything that you have to say. And so Pharaoh says, go. Take your stuff. Get out of here. 
commands his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So he, he takes everything that he had. And in verse 13, Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him to the south. And Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. right? But this had to, despite all the things that he amassed, this had to be a, uh, a pretty quiet journey at this point. Because <laughs> they're beginning to make their way out of Egypt now. I can only imagine what maybe the conversation was, maybe how they're feeling about things. Maybe Abram's feeling a little bit like, man, what did I, what did I do, right? What's happened? Maybe some of Abram's guys uh, are just thinking, guy, he, he screwed up. And we'll see here in, ver- in chapter 13, it definitely affected Lot. It affected Abram and Lot's relationship, right? Seems to have somewhat have driven a wedge in between them as they come back into the land, prompts Lot, maybe because of what, what, what Lot saw in Egypt, what Lot was exposed to there in the world. Maybe it's what prompted him to go after, after Sodom and Gomorrah, as he does in chapter 13. We don't know for sure, but it seems like this really began to have an effect. And this has got to be a low point here in this moment for Abram, and it's a low point for us too when we find ourselves in a place where we think, man, where, remember that point when I, was, when I took that great step of faith? Then that trial came and I began to compromise. And then, man, I blew it. I blew it. But it's in those moments that we've got to remember the God that we serve. A covenant God who's gracious and merciful. I'm mindful of of, uh, David in Psalm 51. He cries out. There's nothing that he can do. David, in this moment, there's nothing that he can do. He's, he's, He's been found out. He's been confronted in his sin. Nathan the prophet has gone to him and said, you, you are the man. You're the one who's done this. And David cries out to God. He says, have mercy upon me, O God. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitudes of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the inner, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me. He, he, he cries out that I shall be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. And so what David gives us an, uh, an example of here is, is repentance and confession and just crying out to God and saying, I screwed up. I screwed up. And we serve a God even as we've considered here recently, right? In Galatians chapter 6, 1, if you see a brother falling into sin, what do you do? You go after him that you may restore such a one. It's restoration. Matthew 18, judgment that's carried out by the church uh, with the authority of the kingdom of heaven behind you, but it's to restore. And so in these moments, in these low moments, we need to remind ourselves that we serve a God who says, I want to restore you. Yeah, you blew it. You blew it but I want to get you back on track. And so here's the amazing thing about what happens here as Abram begins to make his way back to uh, the promised land, back to the land of Canaan. He's leaving Egypt. He's leaving Egypt a wounded man. And look what he does. Look what he does. In verse 3, And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. You see, he went to go after the things of the world. 
He went to see if he could figure out how to, how to find this compromise between what God had called him to and what the world could do in terms of helping him through this trial. And he got chewed up and spit out. But when he did, he went back to the beginning. He went back to the beginning. There's a passage of Scripture I think of so often in this moment. It's in Revelation. Turn from Genesis all the way over to Revelation in chapter 2. In Revelation in chapter 2, there in the first seven verses, we read about a church that at one point was doing so well. Familiar with the book of Ephesians, the letter written to that church in Ephesus that Paul loved so dearly. How on fire for the Lord they were. And here now in Revelation, something's happened to that church. And there's a letter that's to be written. It's Jesus here that's speaking, and it's John who's recording. And in chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered, and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary, nevertheless. And so he says, Jesus says, here's all the things that you have done, and I know these things. Nevertheless, verse 4, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Jesus, to the church in Ephesus, he's saying, you've left your first love. You've lost, you do all these things but you've lost the passion. You've lost a love for me. And so what does he tell him to do in verse 5? Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Jesus says, remember from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. You see, as Abram was leaving Egypt, what he knew to do was to go back to the beginning. Back to that place where he had built an altar to the Lord, where he had worshipped the Lord, where he was in a place where his tent was, where he was pilgrim, he was, he was on a pilgrimage uh, between the house of God and the, and the garbage heap. He's saying, I'm, I'm just going to continue to follow the Lord faithfully. That was a good place. For Abram, I believe that as he's leaving Egypt, he's saying, where do I need to go back to? Ah, yes. I remember that moment when I was worshiping the Lord, where I was in a good place, where I was content, where I was trusting God, where God was meeting me right where I was, where I had built that altar, and I had this fellowship, this, this, this uh, intimacy with God. I'm going to go back to that place. It's wonderful instruction for us here. He went on his journey from south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there, Abram called on the name of the Lord. And so he goes back to the beginning, and he calls on the name of the Lord. He's, he's in humility. He's, 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 he's here a very humbled man because of what he had done, but he goes to the altar and he calls on the name of the Lord. He repents and he does the first works. It reminds me also of a passage um, that we see. It's a very strange passage, really, in, uh, in 2 Kings. It's often associated with this passage in Revelation. And, it's in 2 Kings in chapter 6, verse 6. Find it here. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 6. I'll start in verse 1 for the sake of context. 
It says, And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make there a place where we may dwell. So he answered, Go. And then one said, Please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. And so he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water, and he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And in verse 6, so the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place, and so he cut off a stick and threw it in there, and he made the iron float. And therefore he said, Pick it up for yourself. And so he reached out his hand and took it. And we see again there a pattern here that we look to the master and we say, I lost it. I lost it somewhere. Right? But like Elisha the prophet, God comes to you and he says, where, where was it? Where did you lose it? Where did you get distracted? Where did you get off track? Where was the trial that came that sort of tripped you up and caused you to look back to the world instead of trusting in me? Where were you when I put that calling on your life and you said, yes, I'll go. Go back there. Go back to the beginning. Like the axe head, we, you know, for us, man, where, where did we lose it? Maybe for you today, it's not even as much a matter of, of uh, this calling on your life that you sort of neglected or gotten distracted from or uh, in terms of, man, you were supposed to go on this complete other path and now you're on this path. Maybe you're on a path that, quite frankly, is still the path that you're supposed to be on, but like that axe head, you've just lost your effectiveness. You've lost the, the, the sharpness of your, of your weapon, right? That You're just in a place where you're thinking, I, I, don't, I don't really know what happened, God but I'm just I'm not effective for you anymore. It's the same thing. It's because of distraction, right? It's because of the things of the world. Maybe it's an aspect of compromise, but regardless of what it is, it's when you find yourself in that place and you're aware of it that you say, okay, God, help me. Show me. Show me how to get it back. And what God says is go back to the beginning. Go back to that last place. And for you today, if you're there in any way, if you're finding yourself even, even here in the beginning of 2021, that you're just finding yourself going, holy smokes. I thought I was good, but this last year kicked my butt. And now it's all starting to just kind of come down on me. And I'm finding myself just going, man, I'm, I, I, did, I, didn't, I thought I was doing okay, but I'm not doing okay. It could be any number of these things. When we find ourselves in that spot, we go, okay, where was I before? Where was I when I was tracking, when I was worshiping the Lord, when I was sharp, when I was effective, when I was being used? Where was I? Repent and do the first works. Go back there. Remember your first love. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. Like Abram, go back to that altar and say, okay, Lord, here I am again. I'm calling on you. And when we do, he's faithful. First Peter, First Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and following. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world, but may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. May the God of all grace, who called us to His eternal glory, He's the one, and He's a God of all grace, 
Right? So when we're in that spot, when it was for me, like some of you have heard me say before, and it's that moment, finally that moment of clarity that comes in the great clips chair as you're having your hair cut. And the person says, what do you do for a living? And you as this person with a title in the corporate world that you've pursued after and climbed the ladder and done these different things, and you're looking back at this person in the mirror and you say, I'm a pastor. And to that person, they have no idea that like lightning has just struck your brain, right? As they just go, oh, and continue to cut your hair. <laughs> but in that moment, you're like, okay, Lord, I got it. I got it, right? And that's grace. Guys, that's grace. I mean, that for, for me in that moment was another, another opportunity to, to go, oh, Lord, that's unmerited favor that you called me and I went the other way and that you didn't see fit to just go, okay, I'm done with you. No, you pursued me. I'll leave 99 to go after the one. And that, Lord, why me? Why are you giving me another chance, Lord? And another one, and another one, and another one. Why? Because He's the God of all grace who has called us to His eternal glory. Not mine, not my own. His. And so for each of you, whatever that is, wherever you find yourself going, man, I, I lost it a little bit. Just go back to the altar and cry out, and the God of all grace will show Himself faithful. Amen? Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you would like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.